Hello. The 21st century hasn't quite been a bed of roses. The last 20 years have seen conflicts and crises, natural disasters and man-made catastrophes, this year's COVID-19 pandemic to boot. How do we make sense of these traumatic events? How to process them and come to terms with their consequences? These are some of the questions I'd like to address today, and there's no better person to put them to than Miroslav Miernik, whose latest extensive research has been into the literary representations of the financial crisis of 2007-2008, one of the most significant and influential moments of recent history. Miroslav Alexander Miernik is an assistant professor at the Institute of English Studies at the University of Warsaw, his professional interests include the 20th and 21st century American culture, with an emphasis on everyday life, consumer culture and subculture studies. He also is interested in American literature. In 2015, he published Rolf Rose Corval Crab, the literary images of Frederick Rolf, in which he analysed the British eccentric self-fashioning in his works of fiction and letters. This is IMP. My name is Bartosz Rutostański. And welcome back after the summer break and to the new academic year of 2020-2021. Hi, Mirek. Hello. I'm very glad that you found some time to meet me. Uh, Hello. Uh, No problem. Always a pleasure. Great. Um, I would like to start with a quote from... uh, a famous French novelist and critic, Stendhal, who said that uh, literature is a mirror to life. To what extent do you agree with that state statement? Um, well, literature does reflect life, but I think it goes both ways. As Oscar Wilde famously said, uh, life imitates art. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Very often, uh, art provides a matrix that we follow uh, in our own behavior. Uh, sometimes we may have a fictional protagonist in our hands in our heads when we do something. Uh, but in terms of reflecting reality, it is a crucial mirror, and it may reflect various things. And uh, like with a mirror, you know, you don't see your face, and a mirror is very helpful with seeing things that are too close to be perceived without that help. Yeah. Uh, and in that, in those terms, literature and art in general, from pop culture, from uh, things that may seem, you know, very basic or trivial, like an internet forum or a web series, something done by amateurs, is a very crucial thing that uh, we as uh, scholars of culture focus on and analyze very often, very deeply. Uh, they may tell us profound truths, uh, truths that are so profound that we may not be uh, aware how Mm. important they are. Let us remember that Shakespeare was a popular artist. He wasn't considered high art. That's a fairly modern thing that Shakespeare is profoundly psychological and so so on. And highbrow. So it is a very significant mirror uh, Mm -hmm. for our lives. Yeah, thank you. I've I've asked uh, this question about... uh, um, art literature as 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 the vehicle of representation because uh in your latest book project uh you are dealing with the representation of a major event um major 21st century 
trauma, which was the 2007, 2008 financial crisis. Um, could you please tell me how was the this uh, this great recession represented in uh, these four novels that you selected? Um, in terms of how the crisis was represented, uh, we do have to note that uh, art uh, and literature, uh, particularly in this case, uh, will always look at such phenomena through various points of view, which I think is very crucial. The four authors I focus on, uh, owing to the complexity of these matters, I chose uh, to focus on uh, white authors, mostly because if you look at minorities, we quickly start seeing a very large uh, amount of views and viewpoints, as well as other issues that are very crucial. I mean, if we call somebody, for example, Asian American, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. we have Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, uh, Indian Americans, uh, thinking about India, the country, not in terms of Native Americans. Sure. And even there, if we look at the culture of India, we see that every region has its own culture. We have two major religions and many other smaller religions there. So that's one issue that I have to be uh, careful with because... Uh, in order to provide a certain basis for the future. Uh, it's not to say that the representations found in the authors are uh, something that we see everywhere. Uh, for instance, uh, African-American literature, uh, we find some elements in it that the authors that I discuss are, that are fairly fresh for them. Because if we look at the four novels, we see that they see the crisis, which they never refer to by name. Uh, one, only one novel, Sophie McManus' is The Unfortunate makes a reference to uh, the crisis, which is uh, straightforward, and it's only in the background, basically mm -hmm. saying, oh, because of the crisis right now, uh, people uh, in the financial industry are at, you know, scrutinized by the Securities Exchange Commission to a much greater degree. Mm -hmm. uh, but well, the new thing in those things is, basically saying, wow, our position is not as good as we thought. It's much more precarious. And if we look at African-American authors, this is something that uh, people such as Octavia Butler, Toni Morrison, uh, even uh, people like uh, James Baldwin were aware of much earlier. Okay. Um, so that's something that's fairly crucial here. Uh, but basically, uh, to return to your question, we do see this uh, being aware of the precarious situation, that it's not as stable, that the American dream isn't there for everybody who just works hard, that there are various obstacles that are based on various factors from uh, things like where you come from. Remember, this goes into education because American schools are funded locally from local taxes. Mm -hmm. You live in a poor area, your school will be poor. Mm -hmm. uh, you live in an affluent area, you will go to a better school with better paid teachers, with better supplies, and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, the idea of the American dream is much more removed. Uh, I love the way how Philip Mayer references this in the title of his book, American Rust. Uh, here, it's also crucial because it's about deindustrialization in the former steel belt, today known as the Rust Belt. Uh, 
so that's another factor. Well, you mentioned that the crisis, the uh, the Great Recession, is in its is itself somehow uh, implicit. Um, and would you say that the that the the um, uh, that this is actually the the recurrent uh, theme of these novels that um, the absence is meaningful because uh, it's felt, it's somehow um, experienced, but it's like it's like it's like like a like a, like a black hole which is invisible, but it kind of impacts all bodies around it, and this is exactly how we actually know that there is a black hole because we can't see it, but we know that the celestial bodies are actually moving in a specific way. Would you say that, the, that this uh, recession is like a black hole in this in this sense? Not necessarily a black hole, but it <laughs> but its absence is crucial. It's you know it's one of those absences that screams in volumes. Uh, but it's also for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. It's not the crisis. The crisis was not the game changer. The crisis was a revelation. The crisis was oh, something nice. that made Americans open their eyes and say, "We're not prosperous." We're buying our prosperity on credit. And it's crucial. And the element of debt, one of the common elements in all of those novels, is absolutely is absolutely, you know, in its uh, apex in those novels. We have uh, the uh, causes that led up to the crisis. And here we cannot forget George W. Bush's uh, American Dream Initiative. The idea itself is nice, right? Mm-hmm. People who can't afford the down payment on their house will get a greater loan in order for to facilitate that. Good. But the problem happens, what happens when you default on your uh, payments? Exactly. And the bank calls you and says, please, uh, we have financial problems. You need to give us back our money now. People liquefy their assets. The bubble bursts. And this isn't the first time. We have to remember that the first speculative bubble in the U.S. happened before the U.S. existed <laughs> uh, in the 17th century, not the 18th, the 17th century. So it's a very long history. Um, it was one of the first major bubbles in the world, uh, speculation on land along the Mississippi area. Uh, and uh, basically since what I call the neoliberal age, so when when the neoliberal paradigm of economics became became more important uh, with its beliefs in constant growth and prosperity, which is nonstop. Uh, the economist Robert Lucas said that now, thanks to this economic paradigm, we will have uh, at least 3% GDP growth per year and no more financial crises. He said this in 2006. Oh, wow. But already a lot of people were saying something's not right here. Okay. Uh, and already people were preparing to use the crash for their financial benefit. Uh, the financial instrument used here, shorting, was crucial. Uh, you even have the movie based on the book. The Big Short. The book is not- yeah. The Big Short. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and this is a financial instrument that was seen as controversial and uh, since very early in the history of the American stock market, uh, at least since the early 19th century. And I'm pretty sure that 
at least in the late nineteenth, uh, sorry, eighteenth century, with uh, William Dewar's scandal. Uh, that's a very interesting scandal in its own right. Uh, so basically, it's not about the crisis. The crisis basically made Americans open their eyes to the situation in which they are in, noticing that the debt, both in terms of pub, you know public debt as well as how indebted. Uh, how deeply in credit each household is uh, and notice that this situation is not the American dream. It's uh, pretending to be rich with mm -hmm. money you have to pay back mm -hmm. uh, in a situation in which the economy uh, not only uh, supports more um, risky behaviors, but also an economy that... Uh, goad some people to attempt to make money uh, anticipating the misfortune of others. And this was what facilitated the crisis greatly. Uh, companies basically betting, uh, saying that, oh, I think this company will go bankrupt, so I'll insure it. And if they go bankrupt, I'll get the money, which was seen as a legitimate uh, financial instrument uh, prior to the crash. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I think. Uh, that's the silent aspect. That's why we don't have so much, oh, the crisis happened. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, more complicated. However, I do think that the crisis had an impact on the reception of on these novels. Uh, here, I use the exact example of Sophie McManus's The Unfortunates again, because the book uh, was appeared, you know, in the literary press and critics talked about it. But readers disliked it a lot. And oh, when really? you go and read reviews, you very quickly see why are the wealthy portrayed so in such a sympathetic way. And the thing is that the wealthy in the book aren't portrayed positively. Absolutely. The protagonist, Cece Summer, a wealthy uh, older lady born into a massive uh, fortune back from the, you know, uh, Gilded Age basically uses her money to get secure a position in a, a trial of a drug knowing consciously that she probably sentenced somebody to death only because he had less influence and less money so it's not that they're idealized but we do see the question what would we do in their position and i think this is very crucial because this goes back to human nature and i think that a lot of readers weren't prepared for that a lot of readers said why look at that why don't we just you know continue to write write a screed against the wealthy like we find in you know Czech Polanyi's fiction or Douglas Copeland's fiction that have aged horribly uh, from the perspective i mean if you look at that what they said basically is oh which table from ikea should i get oh i'm so you know, crushed by consumer culture. Whereas, and this is the difference <laughs> I spoke about earlier in Af African-American writing, you would have, I can't afford a table. I'm not sure if I won't be evicted from my house next week because I'm working a dead-end job, with, you know, which is yeah. probably in some way illegal in terms of, you know, not fully legalized employment of the records and so on and so forth. So this is also what I meant by uh, stressing the precarity of certain social groups. And I think that it's more crucial to think about this in social groups than race, although race here overlaps with this. We have to remember Absolutely. that African-Americans, especially because their identity was erased during the period of chattel slavery. Yeah. All right. Um, it's kind of a side question. Uh, the uh, What do you think uh, the literature, American literature, will create uh, in the aftermath 
of this of the pandemia this year's pandemia uh, i'll <laughs> okay, that's say a, that's a this. we've been anticipating this pandemic in literature for quite some time uh, we can think about such things as uh, um uh, there was a book published some time ago. Uh, the title will come back to me in a moment. No about a world that has been wiped out uh, by a pandemic and uh, it's being rebuilt. Uh, this was obviously a topic with the you know, waterless flood in Margaret Atwood's Mid-Adam trilogy. Uh, but we also had this in uh, Emily St. John Mandel, that's the name of the author, uh, Station Eleven, uh, the right. book I was trying to remember the title of yeah. a second ago. Uh, but I do think that this will return to the issue of the economy because those novels look at uh, such issues like what of humanity will survive. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing in an American context is massive unemployment, drastically rising. Americans, uh, after the shock of 2007, 2000, 2008, are, have another shock. They were said, work hard and you will be rewarded. And here you see you work hard, you will be laid off because we have less clients and your quality as a worker is no longer as significant. And it is a fact that, uh, although nobody is without some impact, that the people who are in a more precarious position, like uh, workers uh, who are lower of the so to say, will be the yeah. first to be laid off. I mean, Jeff Bezos uh, increased his uh, net worth uh, drastically during this crisis. Uh, <laughs> and the question that returns here is economics. So I think literature will return to the economic fallout right. and the issue of not only the American dream that cannot come to fruition, but also of the fact that uh, we do see that aspect of deception all right. Okay, and the last question. Um, uh, because I know you're a music aficionado. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. how about uh, the musicians, bands and artists, how about their representation of the Great Recession? So let's go back to 2007, 2008 um, events. How about that? How is this event, this traumatic event, reflected in music? Well, uh, music has a much faster publication cycle than uh, literature. You write a sure. book, that takes some time, then you edit the book, that takes more time, and then you get you know, uh, to the publishing process, which will take even more time. Uh, one of the books I discussed actually was written during the crisis. Uh, however, the author was a derivatives dealer before, so this <laughs> yeah. is, he knew what was coming, basically. <laughs> Uh, but in terms of music, the reactions were very, very quick. Now, obviously, uh, in some musical genres, this wasn't a new change. Uh, hip hop uh, artists, especially owing to the fact that hip hop was tied to poverty. I mean, uh, if we know the history of hip hop and how it came to be in the Bronx with Africa Bambata's activism and the Zulu Nation, it was basically how to create music, not being capable of affording instruments, mm -hmm. uh, which resulted in a very modern, uh, postmodern genre, you know, samples and so on. So in hip hop, we had it for quite some time, regardless if we're talking about, you know, old school Bronx hip hop, or if we're talking about gangster rap, we had that awareness of this precarity. But in uh, music uh, created by middle class people, people with, uh, you know, a more privileged background, 
that was new, but it did, we see that quite a lot. I mean, the direct references to the crisis we do see uh, in hip hop as well. We can think about Run the Jewels. Uh, here it's a, mm-hmm. a, you know, yeah. an outfit which has both, uh, both African-American and uh, white members. Uh, Killer Mike is black, uh, LP is white. But in white music, so to say, the white music, well, that's uh, music created by YRs, we said as well. Uh, very quickly after the crisis, we had a, a young artist such as Kay Flay and her song Money Makers directly referencing it. The situation where, you know, people get these small stimulus checks, the ire against the bailouts that Big Bang's got. We get the lyric, uh, every other sucker's laid up because of motherfucking Bernie Madoff, hmm. uh, referring to, you know, yeah, one yeah. of the people who became kind of the figurehead of the crisis, although actually he wasn't directly involved. We had the British band. New Model Army, whose uh, criticisms of modern uh, capitalism, although not uh, entirely one-sided, but critical nonetheless, released the album Today is a Good Day, which starts, the the titular song starts with the banging of a a stock market bell uh, with a lot of samples, you know, of newscasters saying, oh, this is the worst day on Wall Street ever, folks. Nobody anticipated this. And, and then you have the lyrics, today is a good day. <laughs> they, they look so stupid now uh, with ashes in their mouths. So you had a very immediate reaction to that. Yes. Uh, so, yes, that was something that uh, we can see very quickly and right. very decisively. Okay, Mirek, thank you very much for this fascinating talk. Uh, I hope to uh, get the, um, the the copy of, of your book once it's published. Uh, thank you again. Uh, have a good uh, day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. And this is it for today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of IMP. I hope you enjoyed it. My thanks go to Mirek Miernik for talking to me today and, as usual, to Robert Zbijewski for helping me out with all those technical issues. Goodbye, good luck, and stay safe out there.